I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot and your host for today's episode. Today, I am talking with Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez, who are the co-authors of Illuminate. They also happen to be some of the best storytellers out there. have worked with companies all over the world to help bring their presentations and stories to life. They've taken their expertise and they've mapped the art of storytelling through the change process that organizations and leaders have to go through. And they've got some really incredible insights that we dive into in today's episode. Let's get into our conversation with Nancy and Patty. When I first started reading Illuminate, I was really struck by the application of that structure to, to storytelling and how that maps with the different stages of evolution of a business. Because I think your premise here is correct, that if you're a business and you're going to grow, that means you're going to go through a lot of evolutions and you're going to go through a lot of different phases in the business. Can you all walk us through essentially the different stages of that evolution and, and what that looks like and kind of as a leader what you need to do and how you need to behave at each step. And uh, maybe you could even give us some examples from your own experience at Torte. i just come off the heels of Resonate. I was exhausted. And I told Patty, she had just started at the time, just over five years ago, I said, I really think that organizations go through transformations similar to how a protagonist does in a story. And she goes, that's a book idea. I'm like, no way am I writing that one by I myself. just wrote a book. I'm done. <laughs> I just finished a book, yeah. It's like asking a woman to have another baby before she's out of the hospital. Um, yeah, so the, the book uh, lays out a, a, a model, a framework for thinking about how you can move your organization or a group of people, any group of people through change, and that uh, that follows the pattern of a story. Uh, as, as Nancy was saying, originally the premise was, well, what are the different kinds of stories you can tell at different times? And then as we dug deeper, we studied movements in business and society to find out really what what does that journey look like? And how do you motivate people to go from one place to another? And and we found that they all follow these same stages, that five stages in a three-part story structure, basically. So the beginning of the story is uh, when the leader communicates a vision, some what we call dream, that's the dream phase, a, a vision for a better future. And th- their goal there is to infect everyone with it. What what do you see in your mind's eye, uh, and why should people believe that that's better reality than what they're experiencing now? Whether it's uh, changing the world in some grand way, or even just changing their jobs uh, to, into something better. Uh, so so the journey begins just like a great story does with an inciting incident, basically, which is you communicating this new vision to people that shakes them out of their of their um, complacency with the current reality. 
and gets them excited that there is potentially uh, something better on the horizon. But immediately following that, they have to make a choice. And that's the next stage in the journey, which is the leap stage. They, la- they have to make a literal leap of faith uh, to buy into a concept that doesn't exist yet. Uh, and so they have to choose to take the next step toward it to help you make that vision a reality. And so that's what we call a moment of decision. Dream is a moment of inspiration. Leap is a moment of decision. And those happen in the beginning. As soon as people decide to jump in and help you take that idea a step further toward reality, things get really interesting. They experience a lot of difficulty, realistically. And it's also just like in a story. In the middle of the story is where the hero has left his or her ordinary world. You know, Frodo leaves the Shire and starts encountering some obstacles. Uh, and that's what your travelers, as we call them, will also experience because you're going to, your vision is going to disrupt things and it's going to uh, cause resistance in people, whether it's competitors outside, or customers, or a lot of times internally, people saying that's not how we do things or that's just too hard. And so they resist. And that is what we call the fight stage. Because what your travelers need to do in that moment is they need a moment of bravery, you know, the the conviction that this vision is worth fighting for, and they're going to have to do whatever they can to overcome those obstacles. And each time they overcome an obstacle, they get a little closer to your goal, which is what we call the climb phase. But in the climb phase, it sounds binary, you know, fight an obstacle, overcome it, and climb closer to your goal, when in reality, it's actually more like a back and forth, an ongoing process of encountering an obstacle, overcoming it, and gaining some ground. And that can go on for months, uh, weeks sometimes, but often months or even years, and it exhausts people. And, and they start to get distracted and disillusioned about uh, whether this vision can actually be real. And so what they need in that time is a moment of endurance. They need to reconnect with why they're doing it in the first place and believe that they're capable of pulling through. And if they do pull through, they succeed in realizing your vision, then they uh, arrive, is which is what we call the fifth stage, uh, at your goal. And what they need in that moment is a moment of reflection. It's time for you and everybody who helped you accomplish that goal to stop and celebrate, uh, to look back on everything that you went through and the lessons that you learned, even the painful things uh, that you wouldn't want to repeat again before you go off on the next journey, which is, as Nancy was saying, what you have to do to thrive as an organization. You have to constantly reinvent yourself. So this journey repeats itself. Dream, leap, fight, climb, arrive over and over. So... In theory, it sounds awesome, but I imagine that in practice, it's really painful. And I imagine there's even a special steps that are part of it. There's probably a stage or two that are especially difficult. You know, what have you found, whether from your own experience or talking with folks for the book, to be the really challenging stage or stages for a leader? You've got a lot of people listening today who are are like, man, that sounds really good, but I feel like I'm going to get stuck at at a part of this. Well, I think it kind of depends on what your role is as a leader, where in the organization you are, what your scope or responsibility is. Because I think if you're, say, a leader of a department uh, and somebody else crafted the vision, right, the CEO, uh, that big jefe came up with the strategy and handed it to you. And so it can be hard for you to 
go to battle for something that you didn't conceive. You don't have the same degree mm-hmm. of attachment to it. So sometimes I think for for their sort of next level of leaders, that the fight and climb can be especially difficult because how do they stay committed to a, a vision that wasn't theirs? And so it's the job of the jefe uh, to infect them with it so deeply to transfer it into their hearts that it's that, that, that they're willing uh, to really um, uh, tough it out. For the the jefe, the boss, mm-hmm. you know, the one who is responsible with coming up with that dream. It, so I identify with that person and even the process of writing this book. The hard part for me is actually um, not just having the idea, but committing to it myself. So even making the dream and leap uh, to support and articulate my own vision, to have the courage to carry it forward and communicate it to other people can be really hard uh, because you have to um, you have to believe in it so much that you are willing to do the hard work to persuade other travelers to join you. So as a follow-up to that, can you give us an example of maybe the most audacious idea that you've had to sell, that you've had to get across in that dream phase to get people to take the leap? I've, I've had a couple of them in my history, and the most memorable one for me is uh, 2008. I'd spent 2007 writing the book, of which my team at the time, you know, they're so busy. I, I didn't get much support. I don't think they believed that they didn't believe that this was a good idea. They thought we were giving away all our trade secrets or something. This was slideology. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of coming into 2008 after finishing up 2007, you know, pushing the book out um, early in the year. And I did this whole, the sky is falling. I I called it, um, it was called the greatest show on earth. And I was trying to explain to the team that we need to kind of change our mindset about our services. And, um, I was explaining to them that I had been through three economic crashes and I was expecting a fourth one to happen really soon, 2008. Well, when I was done with this whole talk about trying to create urgency, they thought I was manipulating them with this lie. And I remember two managers came up to me after and were like, I just want to let you know that that talk just ruined your internal credibility and it might take me up to a year and a half to rebuild your credibility internally because you're alarmism and blah, 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 right? But I hadn't really considered that the people in the audience had not been through any sort of econ. I didn't. I, d- I didn't walk in their shoes long enough or deep enough. I just saw all the signs. So what I had done is I knew an economic. I knew an economic disaster was coming. So much so that I went with the publisher of my book, which was O'Reilly. I went with the only publisher that could promise me it would be out on my son's birthday, which was September third, two thousand eight. I knew that. I knew that. I knew, in my knower, that <laughs> it needed to be on the shelves by that date, and it was. And as you know, the economic hit happened September two thousand eight, and. I was a bit vindicated, which was kind of <laughs> nice, not that you wish for one. But because of those activities, the book was done. I knew the forecast was coming. I knew the downturn was coming. 2008, agencies were tanking. And so it was like, we stayed flat that year. And flat was the new grow back then. I mean, if you stayed flat, you'd had some sort of divine miracle. And so it was really sad for me and painful for me as a leader that I felt like the most critical message I had delivered to my organization to date had been spat on by the recipients of that message. Not, I mean, in the kindest way, um, but there was, I would say, 
the most outrage that my organization had ever felt toward me. And it was all in the framing. I could have said it very differently. And then when it happened, they would have been in awe of me. <laughs> I think they still were in awe of me when that happened. But um, it, it, I, I really blew it. How would, it you, how really would you frame it differently now if you, if you had the time uh, machine? What would you do differently? I think... Um, I think that I would have been quite a bit more considerate that the audience, you know, they had not really had as clear of a front row seat as I thought they'd had in the last in the last downturn. And so I think I didn't spend enough time painting a picture of all the signs. This is a sign. This is a sign. I, I thought I did, but I don't feel like I said it or did it in a way that would actually resonate. So that urgency I needed those first eight months of the year just wasn't there. And then they did pay the price. I mean, we had to like whip. I mean, it was like a whipsaw, man, how quick we had to fire it up. And then they're like, oh, that's right. We could have done this over the last eight months. And um, so it, it literally was all in the framing. And and maybe I was too gimmicky. Like everybody got, it was called the greatest show on earth. And everyone got this beautiful, I mean, I hired a calligrapher to do the lettering and it said the greatest show on earth. And we put it on umbrellas to prepare them for a rainy day. Right. <laughs> and so maybe it was too gimmicky, but that's you awesome. Know, the, the rainy day was coming, and I didn't know how else to do it at the time. I, I hope I'm a different, more effective communicator today. But it, I'm telling you, talking to my own shop is the hardest gig I do all the time because they know anything that comes out of my mouth is going to is going to create change for them, right? <laughs> and so I think they are just naturally employees. I think of any leader are naturally skeptical. Um, I so. could, I couldn't agree more. Speaking to. Uh, the company and team here at HubSpot is the yeah, most stressful thing that is. I, I think most people would have to do it here. It's just a, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but the, the thing that strikes me about that is that you stuck to your guns. Most leaders, I think, would have been like, oh, everybody doesn't believe my dream. I guess I should go and find a new dream. But you didn't. And why didn't you? I think because I knew. I I think everybody has the ability to have a prophetic imagination to be able to picture a future where everyone thrives, and it's the leader's job to stay connected to that, right? So my role is to move between today and tomorrow, today and tomorrow, compare today with tomorrow and the future, right? 18 months out, five years out. And I knew that I knew this book. I, I was telling Patty how much I've loved having a co-author several times during the book. <laughs> Number one, she's the freaking most brilliant person I've ever met. But writing the first book was so lonely. I remember I would send an email out and say, hey, pull your best work together and stick it on this folder in the server. And I'd come in on Saturday to actually write and the server would be empty. Nobody cared enough to drag. I'm like, but your, your work will be published in a beautiful book. Just drag it over. And I remember just sitting there, sometimes crying on a Saturday, just looking through the work, um, every folder at a time, thousands of folders, um, because people hadn't teed it up. And it was hard to realize that I was going to carry this mantle alone. And uh, it was lonely. I would say that was one of the lonelier times as I'm just clawing at the future alone, clawing at the book, trying to get the team to see what I saw. And and I don't think I was effective. I, I could have been more effective for sure. Well, and I think it's it's hard because you have such conviction. Every leader does, or we hope that you do, have conviction. You have the vision, <laughs> and then you have the conviction to pursue it, right? Yet, at the same time, everybody doesn't see what you see, and so that's one of the things that makes uh-huh. communication so important, to bring people along, to help them see the bigger picture, which is one of the things right. we wanted to do and illuminate, is create structures so people can 
uh, orient others to where they are in a journey, uh, but also to uh, and put yourself in their shoes. And that's the other objective of this book is to teach that empathy that, you know, Nancy, I think, yeah. beats herself up about not having. But I think it's hard for leaders to uh, really see things from the perspective of other people because uh, they have such conviction that the, their view is correct sometimes. Mm-hmm. And also they're just too close to it to see it through another person's eyes. What was really great about writing with Patty is she's an empath. Like she has supernatural empathetic abilities. That's how an empath is described. And it was it was alarming for me as we would work through different situations going on at my own shop to see how different our perspectives were. And the only difference was she was processing it from a place of empathy and I was processing it from a place of urgency. And I just, I think it's um, vastly different and I changed. I mean, how'd you learn to become empathetic from her? Because it was so weird. So it was so meta, Kip. Like we would go away to a working space over here at the Sheridan and we would, you know, set up the room. And Duarte itself was going through the middle of one of its own innovations. Sometimes we would come in and just plop our stuff down and I would just start venting. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to tell them, blah, blah, blah. Like I would just be, you know, like, I can't believe this, you know. And she would be, like, well, um, let's think about this for a second. Think about from their perspective, you know, she would just like walk me off the ledge and it was like my eyes would pop open. I'm like, I would never have considered that. I mean, just her perspective made me consider things. And there was a couple times where I was about to do a talk and I completely changed my entire talk because I could see it through the way Patty was positioning it from someone else's perspective. And I'm just not naturally that way. So... I just remember, like, I, I just remember, I can see the room, I can see the, where the sun was, and just, I remember these moments where we'd just sit and pause and be quiet, because there was just nothing that could be said, because it was just too poignant. Um, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. It's, it's super meta. It's, it's awesome. I know. <laughs> it's like Inception. It's like Inception, but with organizational change, right? <laughs> it's true. And, you know, everybody's favorite topic, organizational change. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've gotten from our conversation today is that the link that you spin through these stages isn't the same. And especially on that dream stage, I've, I've gotten it that you've really agonized over some of those new visions for the company when you were kind of creating this methodology. How do you know if you're a leader when to, to kind of ship your dream, that you're, you, 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 you pick, you've landed on the right dream and, and the right thing to go and, and sell to the team? I think that what's interesting about the dream is it starts gestating before the current one is even realized. And I think that what happens to me is I've already leapt into a whole new dimension while everyone's still struggling to finish the current one. So sometimes I talk about the future as if it's the present and I confuse everybody. (laughs) And um, I think the re-dream is the hardest part because Everyone's tired, like to Patty's point. They just finished the fight, the climb, the fight, climb, fight, climb. Barely arrive. Like, they kind of want to lay around in a meadow for a little bit and at least hydrate before I make them go on to the next, <laughs> to the next dream. And um, sometimes, like, there was a small season where I couldn't really see clearly which way to go. And sometimes what happens then is it creates almost like the fog of war where then miscommunication starts to happen. Like, people would rather be marching forward than than having a dis- disorienting feeling of not knowing where they're going. Um, so sometimes I've had to do shorter milestones in front of everybody before I could see the actual next big milestone to latch onto. Um, but it is important. I don't know that everyone can see 
um, the dream and know how to articulate it. Um, it takes a team sometimes to vet it and make sure it's real and then, uh, and then be galvanizing enough to create the kind of longing that's needed to get people there in mass. Um, and that's the real trick. And that's what we're hoping Illuminate does is it, it gives people a way to orient themselves toward the future and see, ooh, I can see why my people feel this way. They're at this part of the journey and they need to, I need to communicate to them as if they feel this. And, that, and that's what that device, I've already pulled out my own book twice for converse, one for a conversation, one for a talk I needed to give because I, I wanted to orient myself to the hearts of the people, which isn't natural for me. Um, like I said, I just want it to be urgently done. And so it is kind of weird. That's also meta to whip out your own book. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's a testament to that maybe you, maybe you wrote a valuable book. And uh, as somebody who is very <laughs> imp- impatient and urgent, I, I, I empathize with you on, on how you feel there. I think the, the other thing that I am hearing here is that, that I personally would have trouble with, and I think people listening would have trouble with this, at HubSpot, we have this idea of we're always worried about yanking the wheel. We don't want to turn and shift to the new thing too fast, right, and, and do it before people are finished with the old thing, which is kind of you alluded to. How do you, how do you make that decision of when to, when to move forward? Because sometimes you don't get your goal. Sometimes that last, that last dream that you were on just can't be realized. It wasn't the right thing. So how do you know when to, when to what we'd call turn the wheel and go to, on to the next thing? I think you can avoid listening. So, so Nancy's going to come at it from the standpoint of the visionary who who starts to um, uh, who is noticing where the organization uh, is coming to, that it's starting to stagnate in its time to to uh, breathe new life into it, to stir up the water, and and start out on the path of trying to discover the next new thing. And I'm going to come at it from the perspective of empathy with the people and say, so where are they? What capacity do they have for change right now? Right. And and also, uh, what do they see? Sometimes you may not have the full picture of what state the organization is, what state the market is in. And so you can use empathetic communication as a listening device, too. Some of the things that we talk about in the book as communication vehicles you can use to broadcast your dream and to win support for it, like speeches and stories. You can also use stories to learn from your people, from those uh, – whether it's your customers or your partners or employees, what they're seeing, whether they're feeling like now is the time to start turning the wheel to change direction. And I think you need both of those pieces of insight from yourself and from them uh, to be able to determine whether not just the idea is starting to get mature enough to take action on, but also whether the, um, the body of people that you're leading have the capacity to take it on again. What is the one thing that you want people to take away from this? So if they're reading the book, they're they're sitting there like, wow, this is a lot. What's the one thing you want them to go and, and do or think about? For me, I would say it's to consider who you're talking to. And I do think that this is the first time there's been a tool that orients you toward your listeners in such a clear and profound way. Because we communicate multiple ways. We use speeches, stories, and ceremonies and symbols in organizations to convey meaning and to really learn the moment where you need to create a galvanizing moment. At each stage, there's a different kind of moment that needs to be made so your teams can have communal catharsis is so important. And I would say the only way to get there is through empathy to really understand what the, what, what your, we call them travelers, mm-hmm. <laughs> to really understand what your travelers need so they can keep going. 
I would say that you all, I, I also hope leaders take away that they have to keep communicating, keep communicating, keep communicating throughout that wow. journey. <laughs> so understanding where they are, but recognizing that they have a choice at each stage of that journey to commit or resist. And so that means that you really can't uh, disappear from the process or you can't just focus on execution. You also have to continue to be a source of inspiration, a source of encouragement, a source of guidance through communication. So uh, it's it's an ongoing process. It's part of your job, uh, but you can do it. But uh, know that it's not a choice. I like that. It's not a choice. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Nancy and Patty, I really appreciate you both taking time out of, I know, what is a very busy schedule to chat with us. Oh, Thanks for hanging thank out and chatting you. with us today. Thanks for listening to our show. As always, we would love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. 